Section 11 of History of the Jews in Russia and Poland, Volume 3, From the Accession of Nicholas II Until the Present Day, by Shimon Dubnov, translated by Israel Friedlander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by S.S. Kim, Manikt Baisho, Portugal. Chapter 35, The Revolution of 1905 and the Fight for Emancipation. Part 2. 3. The Black Hundred and the Patriotic Pogroms. In this wise did the Jewish people, though chafing on the thraldom and well nigh crushed by it, strive for the life of liberty. But the forces of reaction were preparing to wreak terrible vengeance upon the prisoner for his endeavor to throw off his bonds. As the revolutionary tide, which had engulfed the best elements of the Russian people, was rolling on, it clashed with the filthy wave of the Black Hundred, which the underlings of Tsardom had called to the surface from the lowest depths of the Russian underworld. Achironta Movevo, this threat was now carried out systematically by the government of Nicholas II in its struggle with the emancipatory movement. By letting loose the Russian netherworld against the liberal intelligentsia and the Zs, the reactionaries hoped to achieve three objects at once. To intimidate the liberals and revolutionaries. To demonstrate the unwillingness of the people to abolish autocracy in favor of constitutional government and finally to discredit the entire revolutionary movement as the work of Jewish hands. The latter end could, in the opinion of the reactionaries, be obtained best by convincing the Russian masses that the enemies of Christ are the only enemies of the Tsar. An open anti-Jewish agitation was set in motion. Proclamations of the Black Hundred with the appeals Slay the students and the Zs. Remember Kishnev and Homer were scattered broadcast. The proclamation of the Nationalist Society of Kiev, Odessa, Kishnev, and other cities contained the following sentences. The shouts down with autocracy are the shouts of those bloodsuckers who call themselves Zs, Armenians, and Poles. Be on your guard against the Zs. All the misfortunes in our lives are due to the Zs. Soon, very soon, the great time will come when there will be no Zs in Russia. Down with the traitors. Down with the constitutions. With the approaching Passover season, pogroms were openly organized. The papers were flooded with telegrams from many cities stating that riots were imminent. In some places, the governors adopted measures to check the excesses of the savage crowd, but in many localities, the pogroms were deliberately permitted or even directly engineered by the police. In the manufacturing city of Bialystok, the center of the Jewish labor movement, the Cossacks assaulted Jewish passers-by on the street, invaded the synagogues and Jewish homes, cruelly maltreating their inmates and frequently searching them and taking away their money. April 9-10. During the Passover holidays, peasants made an attack upon the Jews in the town of Jusiati, in the government of Kovno, looting their property and beating those that dared to oppose them. In the city of Melitopol, in the government of Tavrida, 
an intoxicated mob demolished and set fire to Jewish stores, and thereupon started to attack the houses of Christians, but the self-defense consisting of Jewish and Christian young men checked the pogrom, April 18-19. to 19. In simple Paul, in the same government, the Black Hundred spread a rumor that a Jewish boy, the son of a pharmacist, had desecrated a Christian icon. A pogrom was set in motion which met with the resistance of the armed Jewish youth and was afterwards checked by the troops, April 22nd. The most terrible outbreak took place in Zitomir. In this quiet corner of Volhynia, the progressive elements of both the Jewish and the Russian population reveled in the joy of their political honeymoon. As had been the case in other larger cities, here too, the bloody Sunday of January called forth political strikes on the part of the working men, demonstrations on the part of the college youth, and the circulation of revolutionary appeals. The fact that the movement was headed by the Jewish youth was enough to inspire the Black Hundred to embark upon the criminal task. All kinds of rumors were set afloat, such as that the Jews had been firing at the Tsar's portrait on the field behind the city, that they were preparing to slaughter the Christians, and other absurd stories. At the approach of Passover, the pogrom organizers summoned to their aid a group of Katsavs, great Russian laborers from Moscow. The Jews, anticipating the danger, began to arm themselves in self-defense and made their preparation openly. A clash between the black and the red was inevitable. It came in the form of singular battle which was fought on April 23rd to 26th, matching by its cruelty the pogrom at Homel, though exceeding it vastly by its dimensions. In the course of three days, the city was in the hands of the black horde who plundered, murdered, and mutilated the Jews. They were fortified not only by quantities of alcohol, but also by the conviction that they were fighting for the Tsar against the Sicilists who clamored for freedom and the Republic. The Jewish self-defense performed prejudice of valor wherever they were not interfered with by the police and military and died gallantly where the authorities actively assisted the savage work of the infuriated rioters. During the three pogrom days, 15 Jews were killed and nearly 100 wounded, many of them severely. The casualties were mostly among young working and handicraftsmen, but there were also some students among the victims, one of them a Christian named Blinov, who stood up nobly for the assaulted Jews. The inhuman fiends fell upon Blinov, shouting, Though you are a Russian, you are a Sicilist, and worse than the Zs, now that you have come to defend them. The young hero was beaten to death, and the murderers were actively assisted by the soldiers and policemen. On one of those days, on April 25th, a heart-rending tragedy took place in the town of Trojanov, in the government of Volhynia, not far from Zitomir. Having learned of the massacre that was going on in Zitomir, 14 brave Jewish young men from the neighboring town of Chudnov armed themselves with cheap pistols and proceeded to bring aid to their endangered fellow Jews. On the way, while passing through Trojanov, 
they were met by a crowd of peasants and workingmen who had been aroused by a rumor that Jewish slaughterers were marching in order to exterminate the Russians. The infuriated mob fell upon the youth and in the presence of the local Jews savagely killed ten of them while the others were cruelly beaten. The following account of this ghastly occurrence was given by one of the survivors. There were fourteen of us. We were on the way from Chutnov to Zitomir. In Troyanov, we were surrounded by ketchups. They began to search us, taking away everything we had, and then started to beat us with hatchets and clubs. I saw my comrade fell down dead one after the other. Before the constabulary appeared, only four had remained alive, I and three other men. The constabulary ordered us to be carried to the hospital at Sitomir, but on the way we were arrested by the Katsaps from the rural police and were tortured again. I was roped and dragged to the priest. He begged that I should be left alone. The Katsaps made fun of him, dragged me out again, and started to beat me. The policemen began to tell them that they would answer for me, since the constabulary had ordered them to get me to Sitomir. Well, said the Katsaps, if that be the case, we'll let him go, but before we do this, that hound of Jew must have a look at his fellow Zeds. I was then dragged in an unconscious state to my comrades. I found myself in a pool of water. I had been drenched so as to make me regain consciousness. Then I beheld the dead bodies of my ten comrades. No matter how long I may live, I shall never forget that sight. One of them lay with his head chopped off, another with a ripped stomach, cut off hands. I fell into a swoon and found myself here in this bed. In the cemetery of Troyanov, one may still behold the ten graves of the youthful martyrs who unselfishly went to the rescue of their brethren against beasts in human form and were on the way torn to pieces by these beasts ten graves which ought to become sacred to the entire Jewish people. The government reacted upon the Sitomir massacre by an official communication in which the facts were deliberately governed in order to prove that the Jews had called forth the pogrom by their conduct. It was alleged in this communication that during their shooting exercises in the woods, the Jews had discharged their pistols at the portrait of the Tsar had heard insulting remarks at the police escort, which was conveying a band of political prisoners, had issued a proclamation in the name of the criminal party of the social revolutionaries, in which the authorities of Zitomir were accused of preparing the pogrom and similar charges. The concrete object of the official communication is betrayed in its concluding part, in which the governors are enjoined to explain to the sober-minded section of the Jewish population that, in the interest of the safety of the Jewish masses, it is in duty bound to inspire the co-religionists who have been drawn into the political struggle with the consciousness of the absolute necessity of refraining from arousing by their behavior the hatred of the Christian population against them. Translated into plain terms, the government order meant, if you do not wish to have pogroms and massacres, then keep your hands off the liberty movement.
but if you will persist in playing a part in it, then the Christian population will make short work of you, dealing with you as with enemies of the fatherland. Caught in the general revolutionary conflagration, which flared up with particular violence in the summer of 1905 after the destruction of the Russian fleet by the Japanese near Tsushima, the Jews reacted upon the pogroms by intensifying their revolutionary activity and swelling the number of self-defense organizations. Russian Jewry played an active part in the two wings of the Emancipation Army, the Constitutional Democratic as well as the Social Democratic Party, and was represented even in the extreme wing occupied by the social revolutionaries. The majority of these Jewish revolutionaries were actuated by general Russian aspiration and were often entirely oblivious of the national interest of Judaism. This, however, did not prevent the henchmen of the Tsar from visiting the scene of the revolution upon Jewish masses. A vicious circle was the result of this policy. As victims of the old despotism, the Jews naturally threw in their lot with the revolution, which promised to do away with it. Thereupon, uncivilized Russia vented its fury upon them by instituting pogroms, which in turn pushed them more and more into the ranks of the revolution. During the summer months of 1905, a new succession of pogroms took place, this time of the military variety. Wrought up over the defeats of the Russian army in Manchuria and roused by the vile proclamations of the Black Hundred, which pictured the Jews as the inner enemy, soldiers and Cossacks began to wreak their vengeance upon this inner enemy, assaulting and killing or wounding Jews on the streets of Minsk, May 26, Brest Litvosk, May 29 to 31, Siedlets and Utsi, June 9. In the first three cities, the soldiers plundered and murdered only the Jews. In Utsi, they fired at a mixed Polish-Jewish demonstration of the working men. A regular battery was engineered by the soldiery in Bialystok, June 30. During the entire day, the city resounded with rifle shots of maddened soldiers who were firing into peaceful Jewish crowds. Fifty dead and a still larger number of wounded were the result of these military exploits. During the same time, a regular organized pogrom occurred in the southern outskirts of Russia in the city of Kerch in the Crimea. On July 27, a peaceful political demonstration of the kind then generally in vogue took place in the city. Among the participants were also the Jewish youth. By way of protest, the city governor and gendarmerie chief organized a patriotic counter-demonstration, which was held a few days later on July 31st. Carrying a banner with the portrait of the Tsar and singing the Russian national hymn, the patriotic hordes with the notorious local thieves and hooligans as the predominating element sacked Jewish houses and stores and, in the name of patriotism, looted Jewish property even the so-called respectable public participating in the latter act. When the armed Jewish self-defense began to oppose the rioters, they were scattered by a volley from the soldiers, ten of them being killed on the spot. The subsequent inquiry established the fact 
that the pogrom had been fully prepared by the police and gendarmerie authorities, which had been in telegraphic communication in regard to it with the police department in St. Petersburg. It was a rehearsal of the monstrous October pogroms, which were to take place a few months later. 4. The Jewish Franchise in the midst of the noise caused by the revolution on the one hand and by the pogroms on the other, the question of popular representation, promised in the UKs of February 18, 1905, was discussed in the highest government spheres of Russia. A committee, which met under the chairmanship of M. Bligin, was drafting a scheme of consultative popular assembly. As far as the Jews were concerned, it was proposed to exclude them from the franchise on the ground that the latter would not be compatible with their civil disfranchisement. This proposition, which was in entire accord with the general reactionary trend of Russian politics, called forth a storm of indignation in all circles of Russian Jewry. During the month of June, protest resolutions against the contemplated measure were adopted by the Jewish communities of St. Petersburg, Riga, Kishinev, Bobrysk, Zitomir, Nikolaev, Minsk, Vitebsk, Vilna, and other cities. Many resolutions were couched in violent terms betraying the outraged sentiments of Russian Jewry. As an illustration, the following extract from the Vilna resolution may be quoted. In the proposed scheme of popular representation, we Jews, a cultured nation of six million, are placed below the semi-savage aliens of East Russia. The policy of pacification applied to other suppressed nationalities has given way to a policy of terrorization when the Jews are concerned. The mad system, consisting in the endeavor to irritate and infuriate the Jews by medieval persecutions and thereupon wreak vengeance on them for the manifestation of that irritation, has now reached its climax. We appeal to the Russian people, which is now called upon to renovate the antiquated political structure of the country. We are of the hope that the malign vindictiveness towards the Jews on the part of the retiring bureaucracy, which is eager to carry over the ferments of corruption into the healthy atmosphere of the future popular representation, will not be realized. Professor Trubetskoy, who waited upon the Tsar on June 6 at the head of a combined deputation of Zemstvos and municipalities, pointed out in his famous speech that no one should be excluded from popular representation. It is important that there should not be any disfranchised and disinherited. The government was shaken in its resolution, and the Council of Ministers eliminated from the Bolivian project the clause barring the Jews from voting, justifying this step by the undesirability to irritate the Jews still further. The Jewish question was also touched upon in the conferences at Peterhof, which were held during the month of July under the chairmanship of the Tsar to formulate plans for an imperial Duma. Narishkin, a reactionary dignitary, demanded that the dangerous Jewish nation be barred from the Duma but number of other dignitaries, the Minister of Finance, Kokovtsev, the Assistant Minister of the Interior, Trepov, 
and Obolensky and Chikachev, members of the Council of State, advocated their admission, and the discussion was terminated by the brief remark of the Tsar. The project, with the insertion of the Council of Ministers in favor of the Jews, shall be left unaltered. By this action, the government made itself guilty of a flagrant inconsistency. It conferred upon the Jews the highest political privilege, the right of voting for popular representatives, but left them at the same time in a state of complete civil disfranchisement, even with regard to such elementary liberties as the right of domicile, the right of transit, and so on. Only one month previously, on June 8th, the Tsar had approved the opinion of the Committee of Ministers in pursuance of the U.K.'s of December 12, 1904. The committee had been busy discussing the Jewish problem to the effect that the consideration of the question of ameliorating the condition of the Jews should be deferred until the convocation of the new parliament. Evidently, the anti-Jewish conscience of the Tsar made it impossible for him to grant even the slightest relief to the Jews who, from periods, had been turned into revolutionaries. End of section 11